It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Welcome, everybody, to the Locked On Bengals podcast. I am your new host, Joe Goodberry. And a lot of you expected me to take over. A lot of you asked me to do it and, and take over for James Rapine, who put it, put on a great show for the last two years or so with you know really good production value, brought, bringing in players and, and interviews, uh, coaches, and having locker room access. We can't thank James enough for the show he put on and the help he provided for me taking over and really leading into this. I would have liked to have started it earlier. We had some hoops to jump through and some things I had to figure out before taking over this. And that that's why I was kind of playing coy with it and really not telling anybody that I, I was going to be the new host of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. Uh, I needed to make sure everything with The Athletic worked out. Um, as many of you know, I am going to write there again in 2019. So you, you can expect to see that, although I will be writing there a little less often than I did last year. And so it provided an opportunity for me to take on more work, something I wanted to do, a new avenue I wanted to try, podcasting and just speaking and, and, and relaying some of the information and some of the things I see through my voice more than through text because I, I feel, you know, how, how people take your text sometimes can be different and, and really it's it's different if I can explain it to you and go over it with with a little more emotion in, in, in those words. So this is something I wanted to do, add another something to my resume as I have now been talking Bengals football, writing about Bengals football for, I want to say 10 years now. And, and I think that makes sense. Uh, and, and many people know I, I have a full-time job outside of here. So I needed things to work out. I needed to make sure I had a co-host and I'll bring him on in a second. And this is a guy that, uh, I've worked with before. We've done a lot of projects together. He's one of the guys that helped me create my grading scale that I've used for veteran Bengals players and draft prospects for now, I want to say seven years. So uh, that I wanted to make sure I had someone that I could trust, someone that knew my busy schedule and could be flexible with me, somebody that could carry the show when I can't make it or can't do it because there's going to be a couple days that will happen down the line. Um, and someone that would challenge me and push me and, and, and be a little bit different and look at things a little differently than I do. And that was Jake Liskow. And you may know Jake from Twitter or or seen his work previous. And last year, was it two years now, that we did uh, video reviews of Bengals Film Weekly. We, we put that on Twitch and Periscope and Twitter. And that was a, a pretty good success. And we got a lot of good feedback from that and a lot of viewers and interested Bengals fans. So... I asked Jake if he would be interested, and I was lucky enough that he said he would be. So going forward, it won't just be Joe Goodbury hosting the Lockdown Bengals podcast. It'll be Jake and Joe, and some days it'll be one of us. And But mostly we're going to try and be on here together and bring different things to the table. I like to bring a little bit more analytical scout's eye to it, where I think Jake is going to provide other things. And it's not going to be the same show that, that James Rapine had, and we understand we cannot provide the same type of access to the locker room that James did, but we hope to have an interesting show and maybe something that'll evolve to what the listeners want 
And if we can keep it fresh and keep it interesting, maybe you guys will keep listening and subscribing. And if you do, that that's how we create a community and a show that's worthwhile. And with that, I'll bring Jake on now. And uh, from there, it's going to be our show, him and I together. And Jake, thank you for taking this on with me. Well, thank you, Joe. You might remember I sent you a message or tweeted just days before we this, this came into existence a little bit more. And I said, you know, Joe, I think it'd be really great if you and I and some of the others in the community could just get together and do a regular podcast. I do remember. And, and here we are doing a regular podcast. Yeah, and it's, I, if you didn't send that, because at the time I was thinking, man, who am I going to pick or who should I reach out, for, out to to be a co-host with me? Uh, and I was thinking of different, a bunch of different people, but as soon as you said that, I was like, yes, it should be Jake. It's got to be Jake. I'm going to reach out right away and see if he's interested. And that's why I said, and my reply to that was, this could happen. And from there, we discussed it and, and figured it out over the last couple of weeks and picked a good day to start it and, and, and go forward. Yeah, that's right. Big news today, and we'll get there shortly. Just wanted to give a quick overview of, like Joe said, I bring something different to the table. As you all know that follow Joe, he's got a great eye for film, and especially individual player uh, evaluation when it comes to the draft and just film breakdowns, as you've seen on The Athletic, as you saw when we did those YouTube videos a season or two ago. And so that's that's Joe's biggest strength right he, he's an all-around football mind he can see it on tape and and draw conclusions and ha- offer interesting insights based on his football knowledge and i i have some of that i'm less practiced than joe especially recently my background is with pro football focus that's where i really learned a lot about the game when i worked for them charting games for a year and during that time i also did some radio interviews mo if you're out there thanks for that opportunity and uh, from there, I, I started working with Joe and, and the guys on Twitter that, that do the draft evaluation. A few wonderful women on Twitter, too. I shouldn't use gendered, gendered pronouns the way that I am. Um, it's, a great, it's a great community, NFL Twitter. And uh, thanks, to, thanks to all of you out there on Twitter, uh, I, I've found a really enjoyable community to talk about football. And, and like Joe said, we're hoping to build that community here and... Uh, really really build something nice and speaking of the twitter community and especially that they they'll you'll hear them go by draft twitter a lot i got to meet a lot of those guys in mobile alabama two weeks ago for the senior bowl and one of these days this week i'd like to talk about that full experience maybe we can even bring on john Shearer and him and i went down together and bunked and and uh we had a good time meeting all of those people and and really just sharing insight and watching practices together. I mean, I'm standing next to Josh Norris and Matt Waldman for one of them. And just, I mean, imagine that, right? And then you're listening to those guys and their takes and you go to the film room and all those guys are in there and there's other NFL scouts and coaches in there. And yeah, that's a, that's a full episode, I think, but uh, just a shout out to those guys and that what a great job they do. And hopefully we can bring some of those guys on for, later episodes and especially as draft season is getting fully ramped up and, and as we go into the off season we'll talk a lot about free agency the draft coaching and coaching hires over the next couple of weeks i'm sure as we'll as the Bengals will round out a full staff but just as what they should expect going forward and a lot of player evaluations statistical an- evaluations and, and looking at it from an analytical point of view um, something J- Jake and I really sh- 
share an interest in. So uh, I hope we can cover everything people want, but I really hope people invest in us the same way we're going to invest back and tell us what they want to hear. What do they want us to talk about? What are they interested in? And if something, even if it's not our area of expertise, I'd like to dive into it. I'd like to bring in some people that are going to challenge my ideas or, or help me open my eyes to um, parts of football that maybe I overlook or every time I think I know something, and Jake, you may feel the same way. The NFL game evolves so much that every time I think I know something, it either changes or I look at it from a different perspective and I go, no, that's probably not true anymore. It, it's got to be this way or teams build this way or you got to look for a player that has this attribute or, 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 you know, what's the next step? And I think that kind of, as you evolve as an analyst, the team also evolves. And here we are with the Bengals now. This probably leads into our next segment of the Bengals hiring and announcing today that Zach Taylor will be the new head coach of the Cincinnati Bengals. And like a lot of people expect, um, you know, they went young and they went offensive and they went from the Sean McVay tree. And in our next segment, that's what we'll talk about. And we'll, we'll Jake and I will go back and forth and figure out is this a good move? And is this something that in the future um, is going to work out for the Cincinnati Bengals? Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The big news out of Cincinnati today is that Zach Taylor has taken over as head coach for the Cincinnati Bengals after 16 years of Marvin Lewis and a mixed bag of success. We're not going to reminisce about Marvin Lewis today, but we will talk about the future. In addition to Zach Taylor coming in, we've got news about James Casey, former Houston and Philadelphia tight end who's currently coaching tight ends at the University of Houston, will join the Bengal staff as the tight end coach. Ben Martin, uh, offensive line coach at Bryant University, will be joining the Bengals as well. He has a host of collegiate coaching experience. Brian Callahan announced uh, by John Gruden at the Senior Bowl, news broken by a friend of the show, John Sheeran, that uh, Brian Callahan will be the future offensive coordinator in Cincinnati. That leaves a couple of questions. Will Jack Del Rio be the defensive coordinator? Today, there's news circulating about Dom Capers as well. There were questions about the New Orleans defensive coordinator who's staying in New Orleans. And then there's a question of, will Bill join his son in Cincinnati? We'll get to some of that. But first, Joe, initial thoughts on Zach Taylor, who we've talked about, obviously, for weeks now. Yeah, and that's the thing is uh, I think most of us, everyone realistically expected this to happen as soon as the Rams season concluded, which it did on Sunday night with the Super Bowl. Um, But mostly, you know, no new feelings. I think that the excitement of actually seeing him there, signing, you know, being introduced, hearing everyone you know, give their opinion, uh, creates excitement and, and knowing it's a, it's an official done deal. And we can start to move on to speculating on some of the position coaches and coordinators that haven't been filled, even though I feel like the Bengals have a pretty good idea of who they're bringing in and the staff. And, you know, no surprise, two guys were named right away as assistant coaches. 
Um, because the, there was behind the scenes things. I think a lot of fans were nervous that when you hire a coach from a team that's making a deep run to the playoffs and, and into the Super Bowl, are you missing out on assistance that you could be hiring? And I don't think that's the case at all. I, I do think potentially that could happen if uh, someone has two jobs and, you know, it's either start now or wait two weeks. You may get nervous that that, that job may not be there in two weeks. But I believe mostly this stuff happens behind the scenes, behind closed doors, and the staff gets filled out very quickly. At, at you know, at the least, you may need to bring in a Jack Del Rio on Wednesday to meet with the rest of um, the Bengals personnel and management to um, finalize that decision. But I, you know, I, I do think most of these jobs are secured, and and coming with Zach Taylor, who obviously low on experience, thirty five years old coming from a successful team in the Rams, being a, a former quarterback himself. Uh, the report was that they're keeping Alex Van Pelt also, bringing on Brian Callahan as the offense coordinator. That's three quarterback coaches, former quarterbacks. I like that idea. I, I think that's the way to do it in today's NFL. Surround you, you know, your most vital piece on any team with three coaches that have an eye for the position. And in and, and doing so... I like that. I like how the, the, the staff is shaping up. I think anytime you have a young coach, and if you look around, I mean, Sean McVay had Wade Phillips. Um, Matt Nagy for for the Bears had Vic Fangio. Uh, Doug Peterson had Jim Schwartz in Philly. So you want to have that former head coach, that grizzled veteran on the other side of the ball that can keep your young guy in check and also – you know, I think he kind of shows the players that, listen, he this may be a young coach that doesn't have a lot of skins on the wall, but I'm listening to him. I'm falling in line. I respect him. You guys should, too. I think it, I think that helps a little bit to have these veteran coaches on the staff. Uh, I don't know how you feel, Jake, about it, and, and I, I, I think um, a lot of fans are feeling one of two ways. They're either really hopeful or really nervous. That's, that's I think, a good summary. You have... For, for me, you know, the, the summary is that, that I think I'm pleasantly surprised that they didn't do what we all feared. And I think what we feared was that we would stay in-house, that it would be a Bill Lazor promotion, that it would be a Hugh Jackson promotion. Yeah. But they didn't do that. By all accounts, it appears that they conducted a thorough coaching search. I mean, sure, you could say they maybe could have interviewed more guys, but they talked to Eric Binamini. I don't know if I said that name right. Uh, they talked to Vance Joseph, and and as you've mentioned, uh, they they talked to Zach Taylor first, and he's the guy they ended up with. So, yeah, I mean, there's some questions about him. We don't really know what a Zach Taylor offense will look like. We can go back to Miami and see what happened when he was the interim coordinator there when he took over for Bill Lazor and see what that looks like. Uh, we, we know what his coaching tree is. We talked about that a little bit off the air earlier. Um, you know, he's coming from the Cali, from the Shanahan, the West coast. So we'll see. I, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm optimistic. I, I don't know why you wouldn't be. There's actually one quote that was really interesting in a Jeff Hobson piece today that gives me, gives me some hope. And that's that Jeff Hobson wrote that the first interview was deep enough to show how close he, Taylor, and Tobin are in their views of scheme and philosophy that come from the Mike Shanahan, Gary Kubiak tree based on the West Coast scheme. And and that's something that's nice to read about because this is the first coaching search that Duke Tobin's been a part of. And when you have your de facto GM on the same page with your new head coach, 
that's something that the Bengals probably haven't really had in recent history with Mike Brown being that de facto GM. And now with Duke Tobin stepping into that role, here's a coach that he's going to be on the same page with. So maybe, you know, maybe we won't have things like Christian Westerman sitting on the bench or maybe we will. Or even John Ross, right? I mean, it seemed like the John Ross pick was a personnel pick and not a coaching pick. And I think for a lot of years, anytime you see it look around the league, there's going to be um, dysfunction on bad teams where, and and a big one is a common one is a disconnect between personnel and coaching. And and it's, well, we want this guy. We think he can fit. Um, We like his talents coach, you know, get the most out of them. And then they, they don't know how, or they, they can't. And, um, that happens a lot at, at major positions, sometimes quarterback that can really sink a team. Uh, but having that being being on the same page and that cohesion and one mind, one vision, which I do think the Bengals had for the most part, especially with Marvin being there that long. But I think once you have philosophical differences, uh, that can fracture some of your decision making on people to bring in. And and so I like the hearing that and you sent me a, a few of the quotes that really really sounded great from uh from that perspective of having one vision. But if that's the case, um that's something that really probably won the job. And it, they they've alluded to it, but and then the report today was that, you know, Zach Taylor just knocked it out of the park when, during the interview. And I can see why if they also had similar visions on how the team should be run and and not only from a personnel perspective but schematically also um and if that's the case i understand why and i think some fans had the same question are they just hiring him because he's young because he's maybe cheap because it's a mcveigh you know something you're chasing a trend and i, I always leaned on because we're not going to know about these guys right coaching searches are, it seemed like the biggest crapshoot from any outsider to, to predict success or failure but i always leaned on you hope they did it honestly, brought in all these candidates. It seemed like a large pool, eight or nine guys, if I remember correctly. And if Zach Taylor just beat them all for the job and just wowed the, the Bengals decision makers, then that's the guy I want. You know, whether it's an offensive, defensive guy, I didn't, you know, I wanted offensive. I wanted a former quarterback type. But at the end of the day, if someone came in and just cleared the table and, and was that guy that you want to hire to lead your team, I'm all for it. I'm with you. And, and the other quote from Duke Tobin that I thought was interesting is that he talked about new ideas, a fresh perspective, and a new message that will resonate with, with the team, talking about leadership properties that they're seeing from Zach Taylor as a natural leader, and he's been in successful locker rooms before, and you know he knows what it takes to build that culture. We, we've been there before as Bengals fans where we needed a culture rebuild, and Marvin Lewis did it. And when Marvin Lewis was new to Cincinnati, I said we weren't going to be nostalgic. I guess I lied. When Marvin Lewis was new to Cincinnati, he rebuilt that culture overnight. And he had some help from some veteran guys. But, you know, we're, we're at a point where we needed that again. Yeah. And and if Zach Taylor is going to do that, and at the same time he's going to bring in these new ideas, and if he's, you know, this football guy that he's been talked up to be, this – guy that you know he lives breathes sleeps football i'm for it yeah and i I like the point of needing a culture reset or reboot if you will and a lot of it is because marvin's message felt like it was falling on deaf ears after after 16 years right like they didn't i didn't seem to feel that 
he was getting the most out of a lot of the young players or the young players were coming in from, you know, college and some of their production or you know, I'm, I'm even thinking some of their best guys, Joe Mixon, you know, wasn't used correctly. Or sometimes this, the comments he made, you'd be like, is he feeling a certain type of way about how he's being used or how the entire team is, especially on offense, being used and directed and John Ross um, dealing with mental and depression, kind of how he was being used his rookie year and then even into year two. Uh, Cincinnati Enquirer wrote a good piece in the offseason about it. A lot of that, I think, fed into the belief that out of the 53 guys on this roster, I think maybe three of them were playing above what we expected them to do. And everyone else was kind of playing below or just barely meeting our expectations. And a lot of that comes from the coaching. And segment three, we're going to talk about the Super Bowl and more of Zach Taylor and the Rams. But I think when you look at, like, the Patriots and even the Rams, but when you look at the Patriots, they find a way to get more out of less, more than any other team. And the Bengals recently were getting less out of more talent. And that's why I think it was important to hit that reset from a cultural standpoint, because you want to re-energize a lot of these young players. The Bengals have a young group. You look at the 2016 and 17 drafts; those are going to be the, that's the unit that's going to go forward. That's Zach Taylor's group that's going to be the face of his team going forward. And they needed to be re-energized. You didn't want to waste what I think are two good draft classes under Marvin Lewis, or by bringing someone else in that was like-minded. Um, I think bringing a spark, a young guy from a successful offense and franchise is exactly what we wanted. And it's another it's another hot hire. Zach Taylor was a popular commodity. He interviewed with a few teams when the Bengals went out to talk to him in, in L.A. That being said, we just talked about it. What's the right way to go about building a team for your average NFL franchise? Is it the Patriots' way? Can any other team in the NFL actually get close to the mastermind that is Bill Belichick? Or is it something more like what we've seen from the Rams, maybe the Eagles? We'll talk about that after the break. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And if you watch the Super Bowl on Sunday between the Patriots and Rams, that was Super Bowl L-I-I-I-I. Did I say three I's? It's Super Bowl 53. They should just go back to regular numbers. Anyways... Patriots won 13-3, held the Rams' offense to three points. I think a lot of Bengals fans watched that. Maybe only seen a couple Rams games over the past few years, even though they've been on a lot. You know, you can't expect fans to watch other teams as much as maybe we do, Jake. But I think some fans came away questioning, especially when Jared Goff played as poorly as he did for most of that game, questioning Zach Taylor as a hire based off that performance. And... For me, I, I first thought it was just maybe one guy that's questioning this, and then I get maybe 10 questions about it right after the game and in the fourth quarter, too, it started. And I, and I thought, man, I can't believe this. It's affecting this many people off of one performance where a guy is a quarterback's coach. Um, and the, you really don't have that impact. You know, I think a, a position coach has the 
impact Monday through Saturday. Would you agree, Jake? And, and, and you know, during the game, he may make corrections and help, you know, with, with, you know, oh, don't forget to do this or check with this or, or you know, you got to be hitting this hole or read this. But I, I think their impact is mostly through the week. And even though I, I believe I read that Zach Taylor was part of the third down packages and, and building that offense with the Rams, uh, and they were horrible. I think Goff started off 0-7 on, on his third down attempts. So a lot of fans were concerned coming away from that game from a Bengals perspective. And I don't I don't share that sentiment because I think if you're hired to be a head coach, it's mostly completely different skills than what you were doing as a quarterback's coach or at least expanded on by by a thousand, you know, as a as a manager of the entire team. Uh, you do that more as the, in the head role. But I wanted to shift this conversation to look at both of those teams that made the Super Bowl this year. And and I think there was four really teams that stood out as, as above and beyond everybody else. And the Chiefs and Saints lost, but could have easily been in this game and maybe it made it more exciting. But the Rams and Patriots and emulating them, and can you look at either one of those teams? Because I remember writing last year that the Eagles were someone that I think a lot of teams could emulate and, and how they attacked the quarterback position, uh, how they attacked free agency and veteran trades. I thought they did that masterfully. But you look at the Patriots, and they win it, and they go about things a little bit differently. Even though I would use the Stephon Gilmore signing as, look, signing big free agents can help you. And the Patriots have always done that and done it well. Uh, and But I would say the Rams are easier to emulate. I want to get your take, though, Jake, on, on you know, I remember you, you, you question why don't more teams do what the Patriots do. And the question isn't just why don't they do it, but can they do that, right? There's yeah, a couple right. things I wanted to touch on that you just mentioned. How much of an impact does Zach Taylor actually have on sideline on Sunday? And I, I thought that was an interesting question. And, and you know, you, you mentioned the third down packages. And we talked about this, again, off the air earlier. We, we said New England on defense just – they don't let you do what you want to do on offense. And, yeah. and that's the unique thing about the Patriots, right? And that's why I ask, can anyone else actually do what Bill Belichick does with his personnel in New England? And that's half to half, as as discreet as half to half, Bill Belichick's football team can be a completely different football team. You go yeah. in, most teams, you watch them on film. Like you said, they have an identity. You can say, Los Angeles wants to run outside zone. We don't want Los Angeles to run outside zone. We don't want Los Angeles to throw over to the middle of the field. We want to make them work for it. And so we're going to take away the middle of the field in the passing game where we're going to rush five and we're going to put five men on the line of scrimmage. And you're not going to want to run outside zone into that front. And so New England does these things and they just take those looks away. And and Jared Goff and, and the Rams didn't know how to react. And Sean McVay said it himself after the game. He got out coached. And, and I think no shame in that when Bill Belichick is on the other side of the field. The other thing I want to mention before we get back to that is you asked about Taylor's impact on Sunday. Paul Daner, I thought, had an interesting tweet about this. In the middle of the game, he said, during the Pats' last possession, Rams' sideline conversations rotated between some combination of McVay, Taylor, and Goff. It's either Taylor and Goff, Taylor, Goff, and McVay, Taylor and McVay, McVay and Goff, or all three of them going together. And I think he was pretty involved on Sunday as they tried to figure it out. And you could see in the second half, there were some throws that were there. Goff was a little bit late on that yeah. should-have-been touchdown. Was it Brandon Cooks? Yes, it was. Yeah, and I mean, that was an amazing play there from, from Devin McCourty to break it up. But that aside, 
Yeah, but it should have been touchdown there, and then you have the other could have been touchdown. Was it also Cooks or was it Woods? It was got, Cooks again. No, it was no, Cooks, Cooks on both of yeah. them. Yeah, and and on that one, Stephon Gilmore. You can argue for pass interference if you want. Plenty of people are, uh, but you can also say that Cooks should just make that play. Uh, both can be um, true. How many receivers do you think? I had this not to get too far off track, but how many of like the top? I think Cooks is probably like in the twelve to fifteen, sixteen range for top receivers in the league. But I feel like the other guys ahead of them, the bigger, the stronger guys, make one, maybe even both of those grabs. Do you agree? I, I agree about the Stephon Gilmore one a little bit more than I, I think the the Devin McCourty one. I think the Devin McCourty throw is late and it hung in the air forever. And Devin McCourty had no business. It was Devin McCourty, right? It was one of the McCourties. <laughs> it was the McCourty. He was playing left corner, and I think they, they were in cover three. I don't remember exactly. It looked That's like they were in like. cover three. And Devin McCourty comes sprinting from from his left third of the field. He's he's probably, you know, 20-plus yards away maybe Easily. When, the, when the ball is thrown, at least. It's right? a 45-yard throw, though, from it's, where he it's, is. It's, it is. It's a long throw, but it was late, and it hung. And I think that that one I put – I mean, yeah, Cooks, maybe if he's a bigger guy, maybe you high point it. Does A.J. Green catch that? I think so. I do too. I think so. I think A.J. catches it. I think Calvin Johnson catches it coming out of retirement today. Larry Fitzgerald? Uh, I don't know Larry's skill set well enough. Larry Fitzgerald in the playoffs, in the Super Bowl, dominant performance when he did have his one. Yeah, but but that's not Larry's game, especially not now. If you want to go Larry's prime – I don't think he gets down there as fast. Yeah, and that's that's part of it. Is he got he was so open, you know, and but, I think Goff could have led him to the left a little bit too when you see, sure. the, see the replay. There's a lot of things Goff could have done on that play in particular. I, I think I think Tyler Boyd makes that catch. I would like to see it. I I would too, but I think Tyler Boyd makes that catch. That's that's his that's his skill, that's his skill set. Maybe he doesn't get open like that. I mean, but it's a blown coverage, so probably right. But yeah. I think that's Tyler Boyd's skill set. But that's our John Ross, right? If the Bengals are going to be the Rams and emulate them to an extent, because I think if you're hiring Zach Taylor, it's that he said during the interview, I can bring a lot of this offense and this success to the Bengals franchise, right? You would have to sell that. Um, I think Maybe. John Ross I is mean, the Brandon probably. Cooks from a skill set wise. Yeah. Well, of course, out of the guys the Bengals have, sure. But the, the Rams have two of those guys. Two two Cooks? Well, not, or two, two, Rosses. not two Cooks, but two of those types. Robert, well, I Robert. think I, – I, I, that's what I was going to say. I think Woods is more like Boyd, but maybe Cup is Boyd. Cup is Boyd. Yeah. Yeah. He's a slot guy. And Boyd yeah. – I mean, Boyd showed that he could do it on the outside, but Boyd's a slot guy. I mean, he's, he's no. going to destroy you out of the slot. He can – right. He can do it from the outside. But in the slot, like Cup, they are uncoverable at times. Yeah. I mean, like Edelman, too. You want to talk about future Hall of Famer Julian Edelman. I don't want to talk about that. No, I don't think <laughs> I think it could actually happen. It's not, you know, it's not analysts that are voting for the Hall of Fame. It's writers. And that's not a knock on them, but it's it can be emotion and thought rather than raw data or, you know, if Edelman makes it, there's a lot of guys that should make it above him. It shouldn't just be Super Bowl and playoff performances. No, but you have to give him something for, you know, second behind Rice all time playoff. It's crazy. Crazy. Receiving stats, yeah. Yeah, it's something. Oh, you know what? You know what else? Uh, I want to just real briefly before we get back into it again. You mentioned that New Orleans and Kansas City could have easily made 
made the Super Bowl this year. Have you ever more badly wanted to see a consolation game for third place in the NFL? I know. <laughs> like college style, right? Yeah, man. Give me that game. I would love to watch New Orleans play Kansas City in, the, in, in I don't know, a Super Bowl atmosphere. I think that's the game I wanted. I, Tell neither me the teams that wouldn't I wanted. sell out and get 20 million viewers. What's that? Tell me that wouldn't sell out and get 20 million viewers. People would watch that. Yeah. It probably would have been a more entertaining game. Speaking of which, was it a good football game? Well, it was a good football game. It was a it was a boring game though, and th- there's a difference, right? I mean, the part, and I, I could rant about this, and I did a lot of, a lot during the year. the The most interesting that happened football wise was the coverages and the mixing them up and, and showing man, but actually playing zone and the double coverages on different routes to try and take them away and everything that both sides were doing. Because both defenses had a great game plan. You hold the Patriots to 13 points. You know, that's fantastic. You hold the Rams to three points. It's even better. But point being, a lot of what was happening and that was interesting wasn't even on the screen. They don't show the coverage. You're so the, – the, the TV is so centered on the quarterback and the offensive line that that's all you can really see until the ball's out of his hands. And that's why I think mostly that game right there is a great example of why we need to expand the field and see more of it and what's going on. Um, so it, it made an uninteresting game to watch for a lot of fans. When you have Tony Romo, who's great at breaking that stuff down, he could have, and he did a few times, but he could have shown even more of, oh, they're playing this coverage, expect this, or, or it's cover one, they got a, they're doubling over here on the south side receiver or the slot receiver, try and take it away on third downs, and he was. Romo was good. But we needed to see it at the same time, and I think that's what made it very boring and otherwise good football, but just not what I think we've come to expect from two of the highest, most power um, offenses in the league. Yeah, and and you're right. It was a good football game. There was a lot of good football that was played in the game. I was talking to a coworker earlier, and you know, if you like the trenches, this is a great football game for you. You have some outstanding offensive line play, really on both sides, more from New England. New England's offensive line against Ndamukong Sue and uh, Aaron Donald was out sure. of their mind good. Like, you know, people on people on Twitter saying Dante, how do you say his last name? Skarnecchia. Skarnecchia should have been yep. the should have been the MVP of the game. Other people saying Stephon Gilmore. Um, you know, you you have a Patriots team that was 30th in the NFL in the regular season in sacks, and Jared Goff has no time the whole day. Yeah. And, and then on the other side, you have one of the best defensive interior duos maybe ever. And, and they can't get to Brady. So in the trenches, really interesting stuff on both sides of the ball. In the secondary, probably some pretty interesting stuff. I couldn't tell you. When they showed us that all-22 look at the Brandon Cooks should have been touched on the blown coverage on the cover three we talked about. Yeah. On all-22, that's amazing. Because you see Devin Cordy fly out of nowhere and actually yeah. catch up and make that play. And that's exciting to watch. But we didn't get to see it. I mean, we saw the replay, but you get the point. And we touched on um, why more teams don't do what the Patriots do. And I, as I'm looking at this matchup, in hindsight, the Rams are an 11 personnel, which means one tight end, one running back, three wide receivers. They're in that personnel, 96%. I'm I'm in the ballpark. And at one point, it was 98% of the time um, this season. So they run everything out of that same personnel grouping, but they're going to mix it up based on you know, placement, formations, motions, and they're going to do what they do well. And it's what they've lived off of now for two years. 
and they're going to run the ball as much as anybody in the league. They're going to run play action off it, create easy throws for Jared Goff, um, create confusion for linebackers and, and defensive ends with the, those jet sweep motions. And we'll probably spend a whole podcast or a whole day just talking about what Taylor does actually bring if he brings a lot of the Rams offense and how that will apply to the Bengals. But I think because they were so set in their ways, and I think a lot of teams are like this. And here we think of the, the Rams as, oh, these forward-thinking you know, offensive mastermind, um, evolutionary type, willing to try anything offenses. But in, in, in actuality, that's the Patriots and the old school Patriots where the, they probably looked at the Rams and said, OK, this is who they are. And that's who they're going to continue to be. They're not going to change now. Let's devise a game plan that'll stop it. And they went from being a team that uh, played man coverage. I want to say 68 percent of the time all year. And they played zone coverage 90 percent of the time because Jared Goff out of He's, out of his 12 interceptions, I believe it is, he threw 11 this year against zone coverages. So what do the Patriots do? They go out there and they play zone. And I don't think every team has that confidence to play something other than what you've done all year in a big game. Obviously, we saw the Rams didn't adjust. They didn't change. They were who they were, and they went out there and said, we're going to beat them. And I think a lot of teams view themselves that way. This is what we do. This is what we're good at. This is our identity, and we're going to win with it. Where the Patriots are, we don't know what our, our identity is every year. We know who our key players are. But I think if the first few weeks, and this is why, probably why we hear it every year, oh, the Patriots are down, this is it, their dynasty's over. And they start off maybe 2-1 and one or 3-2. and two. They're figuring out what they are because they realize it's a marathon. And when they get to the end, they're full strength. They're willing to do everything and anything. And now they're well-versed in playing man and zone or, or being power run teams or, or spreading it out and throwing it to James White 15 times. They'll do whatever it takes to exploit the other team's weakness. And why doesn't every team do that? I don't know. But we see, I don't think every team can do it. I think Bill Belichick is the greatest mastermind in football history. And because of it, they have such a great advantage when you add in the greatest quarterback of all time. I don't know if Tom Brady is the best quarterback of all time, but he's the greatest quarterback of all time. And that that combina combination, that pairing, is just hard to replicate. And when I look at the Patriots, I just look at them and go, that's no fun for the rest of the league that is trying to accomplish the same thing because I don't think the rest of the league can even come close to matching one of their two greatest assets. Yeah, that institutional knowledge is, is something that is hard to emulate. And that reminds me of a great quote. Ian O'Connor wrote a book about Bill Belichick. And Ian O'Connor once tweeted, Tom Brady once told an NFL coach that if Aaron Rodgers had Patriots offensive scheme and institutional knowledge on opposing defenses, he'd, quote, throw for 7,000 yards every year. He's so much more talented than me. And that just institutional speaks, knowledge, institutional knowledge, the institutional knowledge of the Patriots and of Bill Belichick coming out with three different offenses that he can switch his team into at the drop of a hat. And and even more than that on defense, the guy, the guy knows how to how to make your team not do what it wants to do. Someone asked me on Twitter yesterday, what do they do that's different? Uh, you know, and for me, I, I thought about it as, you know, it's not that they it's some scheme they're running or, or whatever. It's that they are willing to do all of it. What they are. I, you watch the film of the Patriots or watch film of any team and this will lead into that. Watch film of any team within three or four weeks. You have a great idea of what they're doing. You know how fans will say, well, I can I can tell what they're running just by that formation. Yeah, that's true, because a lot of teams do that. They they have their staples, and they, they work off of that. But Patriots, when you watch them, every other week, they're a different team. 
and they're they're whatever they need to be to beat their opponent. And it's fascinating that you don't think more teams could be that fluid and that flexible. But I think it really does take that institutional knowledge, which I love that. It, it takes that understanding of yourself and your opponent to another level. I, I've, I've watched watch videos, pull up videos of Bill Belichick on YouTube or, or whatever, and watch how he coaches his players. And situational coaching, he spends time just drilling goal line scenarios where it's, Oh, he, he tells them you can jump off sides here because it's not going to kill us. It's only going to it's only going to be a six inch penalty, half the distance of the goal. So feel free to jump off sides or get a good jump on this to to get the stop. And I'm like, man, you know, you don't hear coaches say that often. That, that here's a good opportunity to take a penalty or be aggressive. And it's just every situation they go over and drill it and go a thousand times more than it feels like other teams do. And watching that or hearing that or, or just seeing it over. 20 years almost it's been. It's very deflating, I think, for us as Bengals fans to think, well, we have Zach Taylor here and we're starting anew, and that's exciting. But at the same time, can anybody challenge the Patriots ultimately until they decide they've had enough? And can you? Sure. I mean, they've been to, what is it, nine straight AFC championship games. They haven't won all of them. They're they're five and four now in Super Bowls. They haven't won all of them, so you can't beat them. But in a best six of and one, three, six and three, yep. two mistake. to the Giants, one to the Eagles. My mistake, yeah. So if you're uh, an NFC East team, you can beat them. If That's you're it. an NFC East team, there you go. Or if you're the Steelers, or if you're the uh, Broncos, beat them once. Colts, go. Peyton beat them once, yep. right? Yep. Yep. Um, anybody else come out of the AFC? Colts, <laughs> that's it's Steelers, the, the Ravens, the right, Ravens, that Joe Flacco year. Yeah, that's it. When you look uh, at the AFC and it's Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, and Big Ben pretty much every single year, that's where I think the the idea that you have to have an elite quarterback comes in. Um, and I, well, I, and you I do. do. Right. You I think do. you do. I don't think Bill Belichick's team works without at least Tom Brady at quarterback, right? And I say yes. at least recognizing that I, I agree with you. He's 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 the GOAT right now, right? But when you talk about the most raw talent player at quarterback, you know, he, he, he'll he say himself Aaron Rodgers is more talented than him. I just oh, quoted sure. the guy, right? Like, he, he's a very confident guy. But in terms of talent, there's guys that are up there. But I don't think it works if you don't have at least the mind of Tom Brady there. And I think it helps for them to be aggressive in the ways they are and take chances and, and... – be open to being something different than what they believe they are in, in order to win the game because you have a quarterback that inspires that type of confidence to to you know that hey we're gonna we're gonna be a power run football team through the rest yep. of the playoffs. Tom Brady yep. doesn't care. He wants to yep. win. He doesn't care. He'll throw it to he'll throw it to Julian Edelman fifteen times. He's not chucking it downfield because he wants to. Um, yep. You know it's it that's when you have that guy and that type of quarterback and you see. And the quotes of some people that have played, I think it was Andrew Hawkins today, talked about Brady, and he says he goes above and beyond everything that he does. All the film, the notes, the pages of notes that he has. Nate Burleson talked about this also and, and, and said that when you have, and I believe Hawkins' quote was, when you have a guy that's that good at the most important position working at his own craft tirelessly, it inspires you to work harder and be better. And that just sounds great. I mean, obviously, everything after you win a Super Bowl or when you're sixth is going to sound amazing. But I hope that with a new change with the Bengals also inspires 
these guys to dig a little deeper and do more than I think. I don't want to say they, they haven't done that, but you haven't had the same success. So it leads you to believe that you're not putting in the same work that these successful teams are. Yeah. Well, the CBA limits that to some degree, but it's true. When you see, when you see greatness, you see greatness. I mean, Tom Brady is paid less than Andy Dalton. You talk about efficiency and spending at the quarterback position. And this is a topic for a future week or f- sorry, a future day. Uh, Efficiency and spending at the quarterback position in building a roster is very important. And Tom Brady makes $1 million less per year than Andy Dalton. He's cheating. Well, we all know that. <laughs> On that note, uh, just a couple corrections for this episode. As you've seen on ESPN, we offer similar production values by offering just a couple corrections here. The first one is... Ben Martin actually does have some NFL coaching experience. He was with the Dolphins from 2014 to 2015 as an offensive assistant coach. And that's probably where that Zach Taylor connection comes from. Uh, One other thing, you mentioned that the Rams are generally a 90 plus percent 11 personnel team. I just took a look at the snap numbers from the Super Bowl and it looks like they were at most. Actually, that's not true. They could have had subs. It looks like they're around 70% for the game, but it's hard to say because you can't tell how many snaps uh, Gerald Everett and Tyler Higby were on the field for together. Sure. So, so I don't get a personnel breakdown. I thought I had a number there to correct, but turns out I don't. Joe, what are we going to talk about tomorrow? We've got the Zach Taylor introductory press conference at 2 o'clock Eastern. Um, we're going to take some quotes from that. We're going to listen to that with very, very intentful ears and hopefully pull something from it. I hope it's not too much coach speak, even though I would like some, I think I would like to hear him say the right things, whether that be being aggressive, being um, on the field and in acquiring talent. So we're going to go through that and we'll kick get off and we're going, we're full speed. We're daily Bengals podcast. Your only daily Bengals podcast with Jake and Joe. That's locked on Bengals. We'll see you tomorrow. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL Draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.